0: I'm Ed Gross, and you're listening to CloserWeekly.com's classic TV and film podcast, where we celebrate the golden age of television and movies then and now. Being part of a successful classic TV show can oftentimes be a double edged sword. On the one hand, it can secure you in the hearts of generations of TV viewers. On the other, it could give the impression that you haven't done anything else. Well, when it comes to actress Moorhead, who played Andorra on Bewitched, she had an extensive career in radio. Movies, on stage, and television, long before she was cast as Elizabeth Montgomery's mother on that nineteen sixty four to nineteen seventy two supernatural sitcom. To help put Agnes's life and career in context with her time of Bewitched, we're welcoming back pop historian Jeffrey Mark, who is also the author of The Lucy Book, and Ella, a biography of the legendary Ella Fitzgerald. For most people, she starts and stops bewitched. What would you say to those people?
1: It is ironic that people feel that her career starts and stops with Bewitched. It was a project for which she had little enthusiasm, did not want to be in to begin with, had to be talked into it by Elizabeth Montgomery, and she was amazed that it went past one season. She couldn't see why an audience would cut into something that's so wild and in her mind so repetitive. And in a way, she's right if you sit down and binge watch Bewitched. Every second or third episode, Endora is turning Darren into something. Well, there's only so many times you do that where you are repeating yourself. Right. But there's something so charming about the show. One of the things is that it is so incredibly well cast. To take a woman like Agnes Moorhead, who can do almost anything, playing a part she doesn't particularly like, but being the professional that she is, Throwing herself into it, not caring how she looks or how she comes across, but playing the part, it's brilliant. And Dora should be not just unlikable in a funny sort of way, but unlikable in an unwatchable sort of way. That's how the part is written. And yet Agnes is able to take what is basically a one-note joke and give it dimension and flavor because she's so good at what she does. Right. Absolutely. So.
0: Okay, we start. Get, give me a sense then of Agnes Moorhead, the young Agnes Moorhead, trying to break into the business. I, again, I don't know how, what your knowledge is of that, but again, I assume it's a lot. Uh, <laughs> well, it's
1: an unusual break in because most people I've met in show business, including myself, you start very young, you fight your way through to get somewhere. Agnes had a tremendous education. I mean, she, she, she got a bachelor's degree. She had a master's degree. I think she got as far as getting, getting a doctorate wow. um, in literature. She was open to doing all sorts of things with her life. She didn't rush into any of them. Agnes was, as far as I know, all of her life, an enormously conservative human being. Um, deeply religious, deeply Republican, did not enjoy or put up with slang language. Coarse or vulgar topics of discussion. She did not appreciate vulgarity in film, even on the stage. She just felt you're coming here to have a, an entertainment, magical, no pun intended experience. If I wanted to see naked people or hear about people gnashing of teeth, you know, I, I could go to a cemetery and watch people carrying on. Right. Which is what she said, basically. Everything she did, she prepared herself for. With all of that, education, she also trained to be an actress alongside Rosalind Russell and others and just sort of felt her way into radio where it turned out she could use her, that, that, that wonderful New England voice of hers that really sounds like nobody else's and worked a great deal to the point where she meets Orson Welles and becomes part of his Mercury Theater. She was on the Invasion from Mars, the, the, the Wells, um,
0: War, of the War of the Worlds. Yeah, wow.
1: She's on that broadcast. Wow. You know, she's in Citizen Kane. She's in The Magnificent Ambersons. She's just nominated right out of the bat for Academy Awards. There was hardly ever, or perhaps never, Agnes Moorhead in any other medium than radio. She was a featured player. She was a character actress. She was what's a good word for it talented enough to be the star but so talented that she didn't play star parts more often than not she did star like in an episode of a twilight zone that kind of thing right but there was no tv series starring her there were no agnes moorhead in films but when she was in a film she stole it Uh, One of my favorite films, and I have to look up the name of it, but it's a film she did with um, Bogey and Bacall. And uh, I just love her in it because she's playing completely against what we think of as her type. She's playing a sophisticated, enormously well-groomed, upper-class bitch. (laughs) Okay. And when you're in a film and the main characters are played by Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall, and you steal Dark Passage in 1947, and you steal every scene you're in from these two people, that that means you've got an incredible amount of talent. And that these two people allow you to do it means they have an incredible amount of respect for that talent. Most stars I've met don't let others upstage them unless they have such a respect for that talent that they allow it. But if you look at just her first three films, Citizen Kane, The Magnificent Ambersons, The Big Street. You know, Orson Welles, Joseph Cotton, Lucille Ball, uh, Henry Fonda. She's just hitting home runs right off the bat while she has this incredible career in radio. You know, sorry, wrong number may not be as well known to younger people today. When I was a youngster going to school, we read the play, the radio play. It had become so famous and her radio version of Sorry, Wrong Number was actually more famous than the film it was eventually made into. Not because the actress wasn't as good, but because the story was just right at radio length. At film length, they had to pad it out too much. When you're talking about a tale of suspense, if you pad the suspense too much, it loses its
0: suspense. Right, it's not suspenseful, right.
1: (laughs) So, yeah. But but Miss Moorhead... Was forevermore associated with that one role on radio. Um, ask me questions. I'm, I'm I'm going off topic here a lot.
0: She Sorry. seemed to no no it's fine. Uh, she seemed to be just at ease on radio, on stage, on film, on TV. This is an actress who was very versatile that way. Not every actor can be. Well,
1: um, I, I think she was versatile. A natural talent. B. She actually studied her craft. She was not someone found in a gas station or on a beach or in an elevator. She was somebody who had studied to do what she did. She didn't have the vanity of the gorgeous woman. She was willing to play anything that made sense to her and to look like whatever the part called for. Right there, that gives you tremendous versatility. She was always playing older women when she was a younger woman. She didn't care. She cared that the part was good and and that it suited her talents and that she could deliver what was necessary to be good. I've never seen Agnes Moorhead give a bad performance. Right. And while she's being this big radio star. Right. She's in one film after another from 1941 until, because I want to be accurate for you, 1956, 57. She's just in one film after another, after another, while she is continuously on radio and stayed in radio long after television overtook it. She was one of those people like Jack Benny and Bing Crosby who did both mediums at the same time. For her, it was film and radio. She really didn't get into television much until her film career began to die down a little bit. Right. But she did network radio well into the nineteen fifties. People think that network radio stopped the minute television started. The two mediums or media coexisted for about ten years before radio finally heaved a sigh and turned into DJs and music and talk <laughs> okay. radio. Yeah. But once she went into television, she did it concurrently with film and you you see if you, if you if you know her career into the nineteen sixties. She's doing more and more television, but she is still doing films. And I mean big films, like how the West was one, The Singing Nun. You know, huge big blockbuster films are still having Agnes Moorhead as a second or third lead female. Absolutely. And then she hits and then she hits Bewitched. <laughs> right.
0: But before before anything else, on which uh, she wasn't what looked like in my research, I was doing a rare situation in which she had a contract with MGM, from what I understand. But in that con- contract, unlike a lot of people, she was allowed to bounce back and forth between them and radio.
1: You know, a lot of them made about that. I, I knew about that before you mentioned it. It's kind of an untruism. and let me tell you why. And you can you can write this down into something that's easy to digest. Sure. The motion picture community did not look down on radio the way it eventually looked down on television. Radio could not give spectacle, color, close-ups. And most stars who were attached to the great movie studios during the great era of movie studios uh, not only went on radio for the extra money because it it paid a fortune for almost no work because you were reading a script, but they liked it because if you were... Lucille Ball, the announcer would say, Lucille Ball appears courtesy of MGM, and her latest picture is *The Barry Was a Lady*. So the, the 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 movie studio got a plug, and whatever their latest film was got a plug for free. The actor got an extra fee, although sometimes the studio took a piece of that. Right. It was a win-win for everyone, so it wasn't like there was this blackout on appearing on radio and and Miss Moorhead magically got me what she what was different about hers was that what what it said basically was that she would be free sometimes to skip a film if it meant doing a great radio show or to be in a radio series that uh everybody else was doing radio fitting it around their film work miss moorhead so loved radio that she fitted the films around her radio work as did Eddie Cantor, and Jack Benny, and Burns and Allen, and other people who were doing radio constantly, but also made films. After radio started to peter out, that that clause in her contract wasn't necessary anymore.
0: Sure. Who
1: cares? (laughs) Right, at that point. Did that make sense? Yeah.
0: No, absolutely. Okay. Now, you know, again, she didn't, like, a lot of people say, oh, I didn't expect the show to go, that's why I signed on for the pilot, which, you know, I don't know how good an excuse that is for anything, but did she at the point, bewitched came her way and she ultimately said, yes, I'm going to star in this show. Did she need a steady job or was she working steadily enough that with or without
1: the she would have been fine. Oh gosh. That's a three hour answer.
0: Ah, well,
1: condense it. <laughs> I'll do my best. Um, she did not want to do bewitched. She turned it down. She literally ran into Elizabeth Montgomery in a department store in Beverly Hills. And, um, I'm trying to remember which one it is because because this story has been told a lot. But Bill Asher told me this story it's to my face. Okay, I think it was they were in Bullocks in Beverly Hills. A store that no longer exists. Okay, what At was the it time? Called? It was a high end. I'm sorry, Bullock, B U L L O C H apostrophe S. Oh, okay. Um, Bullocks out here would have been like Lord and Taylor in Manhattan. You know, an upper upper reaching mostly clothing store that women who had money could go in and buy really nice things. And uh, Miss Montgomery talked her into it. Uh, Bewitched certainly classifies as one of the greatest, most fondly remembered sitcoms in history. But it was a troubled series. The show was going to be on ABC. Udvinazzi and Harriet, nothing comedic, than on ABC. The show had been written for Tammy Grimes, not for Elizabeth Montgomery. Uh, the original original pilot that was never shot is a very different show. Bill and Elizabeth got a hold of the pilot and thought it would be a great vehicle for Liz, and she got pregnant. So it was it was that that whole first season was you're, you're you're seeing her overweight, trying to diet down, and they didn't quite know what the show was yet. The early episodes are very. Um, different than the rest of this series. It is well written. It is beautifully directed by Bill, the episodes he does direct. But if you watch the early episodes, they're not played as broadly. Agnes Moorhead's Dora is a little more sympathetic. She's willing to get to know Darren. But the entire series, Take Away the Fantasy, is really a thinly veiled comment on prejudice. The which is in warlocks can't stand she married out of her faith, out of her race, and Darren insists that his wife live in his culture. Substitute Jewish, substitute Black, substitute Gay. It's the same thing. Right. A mixed marriage. Um, Please do not write that they were the first couple to sleep in the same bed together. It's not true.
0: Oh no, I wasn't going to do that anyway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That that was Lucy, wasn't it, or no? I'm sorry? Was it Lucy and Desi, the first couple?
1: Or was yeah, it Dick, well, Robin the first and Laura? See, the first, the first, the Robin and Laura slept in separate beds. Oh. The first season of I Love Lucy, they're in one bed together. The minute she gets pregnant, they're in separate beds. <laughs> so Having to friends, you figure out how she got pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> so but after the first or second season of Ozzie and Harriet, they always slept in the bed together after that. So long before Bewitched, Ozzie and Harriet shared a bed and, you know, So they're not the first, although everybody claims they're the first. And then at the end of the first season, Elizabeth is pregnant again. So they needed Agnes. They needed that character, especially because of her pregnancies, to lean on. And uh, they were very fortunate and lucky, I think, but the writers, especially Ed Jurist, was probably the best bewitched writer to create Mrs. Kravitz and create Uncle Arthur and create Maurice. And, and there's so many in-jokes in that. His name, his name was Maurice Evans. In England, they don't call anything Maurice. That's a French pronunciation. His name was Maurice Evans. But for the show, they call him Maurice. It's an inside joke. He hated it. Mm. But he laughed at it, too. Right. The other truisms about Bewitched is the most alcoholic series in television. (laughs) They are having a drink every 37 seconds. And in fact, the Stevens home has a bar in the dining room and another bar in the living room. (laughs) Heaven for Darren has to walk 10 feet to pour himself a scotch.
0: And you think how many guest stars on that show were slobbering drunk and
1: (laughs) everybody was drunk on that show. You're right. Yes. It is also, from a cultural point of view, one of the gayest shows, in that so many of the people who appeared on it were gay or bisexual. Um, the second Darren Stevens, Morris Evans was gay, Erin uh, Murphy's sister Diane is lesbian, um, Paul Lynn obviously was gay, and that for all of her conservativeness, so was Agnes Moorhead. Rumors abounded for years and years and years that she and Debbie Reynolds were in a romantic relationship. Debbie denied it. I don't think Agnes ever even discussed it publicly. Right. But the rumors were there about Agnes before Debbie. Why do rumors start true or untrue? I don't know. I, I cannot find the moment where that sort of thing was being said about her. It could have been that she played so many grumpy old ladies, old maid aunts, um, that people thought that's who she was. Her marriages were not successful. And we need to talk about her son, that she adopted a son, I believe, shortly after the ending of her second marriage. And he grew into adolescence. And when he was not the conservative Christian, because Christian was very important to Miss Moorhead, her father was a preacher. When he did not grow into the conservative, God-fearing model that she wanted him to be, she disowned him. Wow! So you go to, you go to all the trouble of adopting someone, you talk about Jesus's love. And then, because he won't behave the way you want him to, you just walk away from him. Uh, That's a side of her that informs her spirituality, gives you a look into how tightly corseted her heart was on some things. I've never heard anyone say that she was mean. I've never heard anyone say that she was anything but a total professional on any set, but eyebrows were raised at how her son was raised. And and there was talk about her personal life. But the way she treated her son, yes. Yeah. That's her a shame. strict, strict, strict Christian doctrine. Yes. That she had a Bible with her on the set of Bewitched Every Day? Yes. And she was one of those women. Uh, had she not become famous, uh, we, we might think of her if we knew her at all as one of those church ladies. Right. Um, she did also uh you should probably talk about this uh, suffer because of a film she made. Uh, she and a lot of people suffered because of a film they made um, that was shot in the deep desert of Nevada. Uh, which film is uh, it? The John Wayne
0: film, isn't it or no?
1: Yeah, I meant, yeah it is. I'm just trying to find the film. Well, she died from uterine cancer that spread to her lungs. The film is the Conqueror. okay. And her co-stars, Susan Hayward, John Wayne, and Dick Powell, as well as many people who worked on the film, all died of cancer. Because they were receiving, uh, through desert winds, fallout from the nuclear testing that used to go on back then in Nevada.
0: Which is why she only lived a few years after Bewitched ended, right? It was only a couple of years,
1: I think. Yeah. Yeah, she left Bewitched. uh, Well, actually, she she, she was bi-coastal. Again, if you watch Bewitched back-to-back all the episodes, there are periods of time where she's not there. You don't, they don't mention you Endora know, as someplace else, just they bring in other characters and you just don't see Endora. We think of her as being on every episode, but she, she misses some, usually because she's, she's either making a film or she's on Broadway. Right, because she she enjoyed doing Broadway. She was a big hit in Gigi on Broadway, but that's where she got sick. And uh, one can only dream of what she could have done more. Except she was already seventy four years old. I mean, what was she going to do after that?
0: No, very true.
1: You know, could she have starred in uh, Driving Miss Daisy in her eighties? Maybe, probably not on Broadway, but could she have made the film? Perhaps. I don't think there's any part Agnes Moorhead would have been bad in because it was always about the part, not about her personality. She wasn't that kind of an actress. She She immersed herself into the
0: character rather than Yeah,
1: yeah. You went to see a Joan Crawford film because it was Joan Crawford, and no matter what part she was playing, she was playing some version of Joan Crawford. Uh, Agnes Moorhead, although she did not believe in the uh, method uh, versions of acting, did immerse herself in the parts. She used her own methods. She used the methods that were taught to her in acting school. And uh, certainly, one of the reasons Endora is so good is a combination of, even though she thought it was a ridiculous part, she dove into it and. Like with most good productions of any kind, the makeup and hair and costumers turned her into Andorra almost before she opened her mouth. Her look made a statement.
0: Yeah. It's so funny, though, this poor woman, you would imagine that after a while, though, and like you said, she did the show, she was on the show for the full run. You gotta imagine that reaches a point. It's like, oh, are they going to keep renewing this show? Oh, my God. <laughs> How long is this thing going to go on?
1: Well, it gave her tremendous financial uh, independence. And even though she didn't like the part, and even though she found it to be repetitive, it was a wonderful acting exercise in being able to bring something new each time to something you don't particularly care for. There are a lot of actors who have to play parts or be in films or television or plays for which they have no particular love, but it's a paycheck. In her case, this was Uh, an annuity paycheck because many seasons of the show and the reruns and she didn't even live to enjoy the money from the reruns because bewitched did very well in syndication it's also very rare i think for a woman to be 70 and still be working on a weekly television series the film the, the the tv series made her an icon she was already a star
0: We hope you enjoyed this trip back to a more bewitching time. We also hope you'll subscribe to this podcast, tell your friends about us, and give us a five-star review. Thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next time.